episode where we unfortunately have to discuss the sad passing of Nintendo's president, Mr. Iwata. Satoru Iwata. Yes. Passed away fairly young at 55. Yeah. Yeah. One of the rare CEOs that is also a pretty awesome dude by all accounts. And and also spent a long time uh, pulling fat out of fire at various other positions. Absolutely. And I, I mean, like, uh, you can just see it from a lot of the kind words actual employees of Nintendo have uh, said Or even him. people that weren't employees of Nintendo. Yes, it's true. There was, a, there was the, uh, at this point, fairly well passed around uh, Shigesato Itoi piece uh, that he wrote which was really nice, which is, you know, everything you'd expect as he was a actual writer in Japan. Uh, there was a very nice one from Yute Saito, who is probably most well-known for the cult classic Seaman, but <laughs> also did some other crazy stuff like Odama for the GameCube, if you've ever heard of that, which was uh, a combination uh, pinball strategy game. I never played that, but it looked super weird. Yeah, that's Yute Saito's. Stuff. I think he also did Aeroporter for the Guild series, if you know about that. No. Basically, he's a guy that makes a lot of weird things, and he talked a bit about Iwata being very supportive of, like, weird, different ideas. <laughs> uh, so, well, yeah, it's, it's one of those situations where someone passes and you can't even find a single person who has an unkind word to say. Yeah. And it just, to put it plainly, it sucks. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Uh. Well, and thankfully, uh, someone sent in some questions about things that he in particular worked on. Um, yeah. So that's this is going to be an all Nintendo questions show. So, so we'd start with the Iwata focused ones. Yes. So these are all from Shaman, um, one of the rare per- people who actually sends me questions by email. <laughs> yes, email. Your inbox gets used. Email is still a thing. Uh, all right. Well, let's see. Since it's in honor of, oh God, Satoru. Thank you, Satoru Iwata's passing. Satoru Iwata. Uh, which one of these feats of Iwata as a programmer is the most impressive? Uh, being the lead on Earthbound, reverse engineering the Pokemon battle system without help for the Pokemon Stadium games, compressing Pokemon Gold. Silver's main content to the point that they could get about two-thirds of Red Blue in. Red go with two, one, and three in that order simply because I'm the kind that thinks adding the second continent to gold and silver actively made it worse. Um, well, it may have made it worse, but uh, it was still incredibly it, it, impressive. It depends, upon, it depends upon how you're judging these. Like, uh, you know, for the sake of brevity, all three of these are slightly being uh, shortened in the telling. So, like, sure. he wasn't—he wasn't the original lead on Earthbound. He was brought into Earthbound about a year before it came out because its code was such an unworkable quagmire <laughs> that it was essentially like he—someone needed to be able to fix it from the ground up, or it couldn't come out. Hmm. So he re—he rewrote it from scratch in that year. Which, Which is, uh... is impressive because it had been in development basically since Mother 1 came out. Mm. So, yeah, Unworkable Quagmire is not really an understatement in terms of what that code apparently looked like. And So, not, not without, only... it's not just he was the guy that, you know, was there when Earthbound was being made. It's without him, Earthbound doesn't come out. And not only that, but it turned out uh, incredibly well. Yeah, it's a, it's a fairly rock-solid game, especially as far as SNES RPGs are concerned. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think it does have the occasional slowdown, but I think that's... Uh... For RPGs, that's a pretty acceptable yeah. 
performance sacrifice. Um, it's, it's pretty forgivable. Forgivable let, let given the quality of the whole. Let us yes. compare this to its competition, which, for example, uh, Final Fantasy was still having fun with having entire stat blocks not work. <laughs> like Whoops. Final Fantasy VI has thing has a bug in it that's so bad it can brick your cartridge. Compared to any other RPG you were spending money on, it was rock solid. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so. Yeah, that one's definitely impressive. Yeah. Uh, the the second one, like, yeah, the idea of reverse engineering the incredibly baffling and weird Pokemon damage, like, calculations and system calculations uh, without documentation is nightmarish. <laughs> because Pokemon, especially Generation 1, has all sorts of weird ways that th- things work in it. And I'd imagine that, like, Stadium probably corrects some things that weren't just because they, you know, Pokemon, speaking of games that didn't work properly, (laughs) speaking of RPGs where entire things just didn't work right, uh, Pokemon is, Generation 1 is a really bad case of that. Uh, So I would imagine that Stadium, I've never looked closely into this, but I would imagine Stadium probably actually fixes some of those things. But, like, working out just some of the strange ways that it works, like, oh, critical chance is determined by speed like working all of the strange ins and outs of its battle system without documentation is very it's a nightmarish uh, I can't even imagine I don't even know how that was like completed yeah that's that sounds like like a multi-year project and I I doubt that it took all that long yeah probably a year uh, and of course, this the third one he mentions. Gold and Silver's main continent was compressed to the point that they could fit two thirds of red and blue, which is is an understatement in the same way that Earthbound is an understatement. Because the issue they were having was that they couldn't fit Gold and Silver's main continent on a Game Boy cartridge before yeah. worked out the compression scheme for it. Like if you if you ever wondered part of why like red and blue are so buggy is because they're well a multitude of reasons they were programmed like nine years but uh it's also just because they're strange uh and almost completely stuffed carts so like the fact that you know like they were so red and uh, not right. Gold and Silver were supposed to come out like a year before they did. Ooh. Like if you look at sources from around the time, and I would imagine that a large part of the problem was, oh no, we can't fit the entire game onto you. <laughs> and so, you know, like you look at that and then you look at the fact that he compressed it so efficiently that they didn't just they weren't just able to fit everything they wanted. They were able to fit in a gigantic like post-game landmass, like that's incredibly impressive. Yeah, that is like, that is a gifted programmer right there. Yeah, like the fact that its history is littered with these. Like, oh no, this game is broken and near unreleasable, like unsalvageably coded. Can you fix it? And the answer is always yes. <laughs> <laughs> So it might be almost impossible to just appreciate how much he meant to the company. Yeah, I remember reading that, like, apparently he did, like, a lot of the hardcore, like, coding to make sure that Super Smash Bros. Melee was able to come out alongside the GameCube. That was less than a year before he was made CEO of Nintendo. (laughs) Like, (sighs) the amount of, like, projects that he rescued is probably something you couldn't count on both hands without running out of fingers. <laughs> and that's more than most people can say for their entire career. <laughs> it almost seemed like he was, he might be wasted in the CEO position, but he obviously uh, uh, he enjoyed that role, it seemed. He was, he had a, well, he ran a very different Nintendo than Hiroshi Yamauchi ever yeah. ran. If you've ever... Uh, like, if you've ever read the book uh, Game Over, which probably has the best idea of how Yamauchi ever ran Nintendo, because it was one of the few, like, English-language sources that ever had, like, proper access to Yamauchi, 
Like, it attests to the fact that Yamauchi literally never played video games. <laughs> like, he, had a, he had a remarkable knack for seeing what the market liked, but he didn't play games. He was a very, like, in-control CEO. Like, he would pass down an edict, and that was how Nintendo worked. And, like, just the turnaround between him and Iwata is so fascinating because Nintendo slowly but surely over the course of a decade goes from being like this bizarre walled kingdom where like things just occasionally spit out of it and turns into like this thing where like they're about as open about what they're doing as any company has ever been in Mm. terms of game business and despite uh, some rocky times along the way I think it's a much better future path for the company yeah I mean like whatever else you want to say about like the Wii U Iwata like unquestionably presided over the company's most successful period yeah and creatively I mean they'd never missed a beat no definitely not you know people might want to say oh the Wii's success was just because of the gimmick of the Wii remote and honestly it really wasn't if you look at some of the most popular titles on there. Yeah, it was it was the Weaver Remote was a mission statement, but it wasn't necessarily what made the system a success. Yeah. The remote was a mission statement of you know, like uh, as was the term used at the time and still to this day like disruptive, but also it, you know, it was like video games don't have to be the paradigm that we have laid out for them. That paradigm is not the only way that you can play games. And, like, I think that's, you know, it helped pave the way for the fact that, you know, mobiles become such a big thing. Yeah. Like, this idea that, you know, you can make games that are simple enough to appeal to way more people than if you just keep going down the paradigm that they had laid out. Sure, and a lot of those, a lot of the the games for the Wii kind of hit the sweet spot of appealing to both more casual people and the more core people. He got, like, New Super Mario, which I think... Oh my gosh, those things... I I think people fail to realize how well the New Super Mario Brothers games sell. Yeah, I think it did um, at least, like, two or three times more than Galaxy, didn't... didn't Galaxy did about seven million. New Super Mario Brothers, like, for for example, for the DS, New Super Mario Brothers did well in excess of 20 million. Oh my god, okay. (laughs) I'm sure the Wii one did quite well as well. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to go look up cuz I remember looking these up and I think I want to say that in total it did something like 30 million, so. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> yeah, I really think those games hit hit that nice sweet spot and we don't really have a ton of games that that do that. And you know, we look at Mario Kart for the Wii, which just did incredibly well. Um, and, and, you know, those games aren't the ones that really did all that much with the Wii Remote. So. Yeah, it's, it, you know, the Wii Remote was also just an excuse to, you know, simplify input. Like, yeah. you know, it had, it, it was asking you to primarily keep track of two buttons at any given time in a directional pad. And, you know, yeah. you know, some, you know, a few games chafed under that, but still, it's like, it's, Yeah. And I, I feel like the Wii has a lot of, like, underrated titles that people just, like, ignored or f- missed. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, the developers of Yoshi's Woolly World put out two really, you know, fun, traditional 2D platformers in Kirby's Epic Yarn and uh, Wario Land Shake It. Uh, they commissioned, you know, Treasure to make a Sin and Punishment sequel that, like, proved that trying to listen to people <laughs> that love treasure games is a path to losing tons of money. Yes. Uh, I love Sin and Punishment Star Success. I love Sin and Punishment Star Successor with all my heart. It's like it was the first time I'd ever seen a Nintendo published game go from $50 to $5 in the course of like three months. Um, <laughs> we got a Sonic game called Sonic Colors, which sounds like the dumbest thing ever, but was one of... The, the, the best games the, in recent years. The, the Like, Sonic Colors coming back, like, I remember, like, Sonic Colors, when they announced that, like, we can't really credit Nintendo with that one, per no, se, but, but still. but it's fun to bring up. 
Yeah, like that was that was the one where like people had finally stopped pretending that they thought a new Sonic game was going to be good, and then Sonic Colors turned out to be good, and it was yeah. just what? Like, oh, what happened? Yeah, and you know, there's there's just a lot. Like the Wii catalog is really eclectic. Yeah, but I think that that makes it like a really fun one to sort of dive into because it's just full of weird things in it and strange experiments and things that like maybe they weren't precisely what you wanted at the time but like the more you give them time to sort of sit the more you realize that they were kind of they were neat and like you weren't ever going to see them anywhere else yeah there's, there's some I haven't even played like I haven't played Kirby's Epic Yarn I haven't played oh, that game's so good I haven't played Return to Dreamland oh that game's uh, super good too <laughs> yeah see <laughs> two completely different flavors of Kirby too like, they don't uh, play, like, as far as Kirby games can be different from each other, those two are completely yeah. opposites. I actually did uh, just pick up the Kirby Dream Collection for the Wii. Oh, nice. Yeah, I, th- I figured since uh, Wada was involved with the early Kirby titles, it'd be a good thing to Yeah, to it's worth remembering play. that he got his start at HAL Laboratory. Yeah. Uh, the Wii. I don't know. <laughs> kind of dived into a lot of stuff on the Wii. Yeah, um, I, was, I was I was just trying to get like the broader spectrum of just how much impact he had. Yeah. I know we kind of I kind of let myself go further from the question than we normally would, but you know. Yeah, well, we, whatever you want to say about Nintendo's uh, console issues, I I would say that he's overseen uh, the portable business incredibly well, especially the turnaround of the 3DS oh, after man, that disastrous like that, launch. That was like. Like, it's surreal to just study the contrast there, because, like, you know, they immediately, it was like, we can't just sit by and expect this to fix itself. Yeah. Like, just immediately take drastic action, but also try to avoid making early buyers feel like they've just been burned completely. So here are a bunch of free games. Yeah, and then that you still can't get access yeah. to on the CPS in any other way. <laughs> yeah, well, those G- free GBA games uh, still only available to the to people that bought an original 3DS. So yeah, that that is pretty cool. I happily transferred those to my uh, new 3DS so that I could keep playing Fire Emblem. Yeah, uh, me too. <laughs> uh, yeah, like you know that that represents like. You know, a lot of times when you when you see a company release something that just drastically underperforms, it, it like they try to write it out or they leave it for dead. And this was like the most proactive approach to something landing with a thud that was expected to come out uh, doing gangbusters. So it really uh, it's really impressive just to go back and look at it. Yeah, and I mean it. I think we all knew the 3DS wasn't going to sell quite as well as the DS, given the impacts of the mobile market. But, but the I, fact that it managed to carve out a market for itself at yeah, all. Yeah, and it's a huge market. Much bigger than I think uh, people would have predicted. At least yeah, the naysayers would have predicted. The, there was this, uh, there was, and to, to an extent still is, this, this argument that portable game systems cannot continue to coexist with mobile. They are inevitably to be eaten. But I, I think the the 3DS was a proof that there is at least a worthwhile segment to market to that do want a you know dedicated portable system. For sure. And you know, it's not just it's definitely not just like the older crowd that doesn't like playing games on the cell phone. It's definitely still a lot of the younger crowd. So uh, that's good to see. Uh, <laughs> I guess. I guess it's the last major Iwata anecdote. I would just bring up the fact that, you know, when the 3DS and Wii U were at their shakiest, instead of the usual tendency to try to get out of the black of mass layoffs, Iwata just was like, we'll dip into the company coffers and we will cut my paycheck in half. Yeah. Which is... And, like, I, I finally read up the, like, statement he issued when that happened, which was that... uh you know, he was essentially like, I believe that our company makes the best games in the world, and I believe that our workers can't go on making the best games in the world if they're terrified that they're going to get laid off. Yeah. It was just... He was the sort of person that 
you wish ran all of your favorite like companies that you buy products yeah. from. And I mean, honestly, looking at the games that have come out after that, they all proved them right. I would say. Yeah. Uh, Rest in peace, Mr. Lada. Yeah, you will be missed. All right, let's let's move on to our next question, Something which Something ideally a little less somber. Yes, and this will fittingly be about Wii games. Okay. okay. Okay, so next up we have a few questions, actually, not just about the Wii. Uh, these are from TechSide. And <coughs> the first one is, what NES RPG has held up the best? If we need to limit it, let's say, of the Final Fantasy and Dragon Quest titles, but feel free to expand past there. I think we can expand past there, but it may yeah. end up being one of those anyway. <laughs> yeah, it's it's hard to say that any of them have held up better than something like Dragon Quest Three. <laughs> yeah, or even Dragon Quest Four, even though the remake. Oh yeah, is that is a, that is. I always forget yeah. that's an NES yeah. game. <laughs> I mean, the the remake is is obviously much better, but the original still holds up. Well, uh, on the other hand, if you're playing the remake, you also have to try very hard to remember that the uh, f the new chapter doesn't exist because it's not very good. <laughs> <laughs> It's true. Um, I'm trying to think what others we can fit in. Like here. I remember someone responded to this post by bringing up Earthbound Beginnings, which, while probably better written than most NES RPGs, I think is mechanically worse than most. So. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was, it was probably pretty good at the time, but you know, obviously, if you go back it's, and play a lot of these, got screwy weapon balance. Yeah. A lot of NES RPGs had issues. Yeah, it, like, it's kind of hard to deny that. Yeah. It would be impressive to find an RPG that fails to function in as many and as many unpredictable ways as something like even the good ones, like Final Fantasy One. Yeah, Le leaving aside the <laughs> ones that were awful at the time, like Hoshio Miruhito, or, or the NES versions of East One and One and Two. Oh, those are not good. Those are not great. I have told you about how those scared me off of the series for, like, years. And here I would have... Like, I remember that because I always assumed that, like, oh, he must have played the Master System versions. Like, no, I played the NES ones for some reason. Why would you do that? I, I don't know. I heard about this... I read. I think I read about the series in EGM or something. So, I was... They're, they, like, their articles on East barely mentioned the NES ones. I, I don't remember what it was. I, I think I... I may... I may have just read that and then just like searched for East and came across the ROMs for the NES. And like, oh, this will be easy. Yeah. <laughs> Whoops. <coughs> but yeah, neither, <coughs> it took until the uh, uh, I forget what podcast I listened to. I think it was uh, what the heck was it? Oh, Retronauts. Duh. The Retronauts <laughs> about <laughs> yes. The Retronauts about Falcom, and then I downloaded East One and Two Turbo Graphics 16, which is on the Virtual Console on Wii, and yeah, that got me into the series because those versions are still great. Yeah, uh, like that version still totally holds up perfectly, but it's not an AS game. So no, I'm taking us uh, wildly off track. Um, so yeah, a lot of NES RPGs do not hold up all that well. Like at the very least, none of very few of them are freaking Hoshio Miruhito or Super Monkey Daibokan. Yeah, uh, which I'm not sure if you've ever seen either, but no. So Hoshio Miruhito uh, doesn't display the ones place on health. Ooh. So it's almost impossible to figure out 
it, it takes a while to figure out like that. Oh, the reason that I'm taking like 15 damage and going down three health is because you know whatever. But it also looks like none of the tile sets are implemented properly. Oh, no, no. <laughs> the amount to which everything is wrong in that game is amazing. Wow. And Gonzo Sayuki, Super Monkey Daibokan, uh, is a really infamous Japanese, like, sort of action-y RPG that uh, I think the best way I once heard it described was it's almost like an anti-video game. <laughs> what? It that, like... It mostly consists of just sort of wandering around. Things happen, but they don't quite matter. Hmm. It's a very strange game. Like there's, like just just to clarify the bottom rung of what didn't hold up just before the we discuss a bit more of the upper rung of things like Dragon Quest Four. But yeah, but like even if we were to bring uh, I think Zelda into this talk, I don't think those games. Held hold up. up as well as Dragon Quest yeah. 3 or 4. They certainly, I was going to say, I don't think they hold up as well as anyone will admit, because people are very attached to the original Zelda and uh, some oddly attached to the second Zelda, which I still hate. The second Zelda fashion. is really important in terms of how the series innovates later, but as far as what it, like, as far as playing it, I, I can't get into it. Yeah. And Zelda 1. You know, as important a game as it is, I don't, I don't enjoy it. Yep. Uh, like, <coughs> it, it, it's a game that, without outside documentation, I don't have the time for. I do not have the time for it. And even with outside documentation, it's just... It's mostly just a enemy gauntlet. Yep. It was a very important, very innovative, very exploratory game at the time that I just don't think has aged all that well. Uh, so I'm thinking of one that I haven't actually played that I can remember, okay. but I've heard about, Crystallis. Oh, yeah, Crystallis uh, has actually probably aged markedly better than the Zelda games of the time. Okay. Um, I've heard really good it's, things. It's, yeah, it's still it's, it's still a little rough around the edges, as you would expect, given the time it was developed. But it's a very, very good action RPG that has aged surprisingly gracefully. I'm gonna have to play that at some point. It, it feels it feels a great deal more modern, just because of the just even just by virtue of the fact that you spend like the game wants you to be using your magic to solve puzzles and trigger event flags. Very cool. So yeah, that's a that's another one that's in like the upper tier of aged surprisingly well. And then SNK never even ever revisited that genre ever. Oh. Except for the Samurai Showdown RPG that no one ever played. <laughs> and even the Sam uh, Samurai Showdown RPG I think is a slightly more traditional RPG whereas Crystallis is more of a Zelda-like construct. Hmm. Just make sure you don't play the Game Boy Color version. They they uh, screwed it up. Yes, I actually uh, proofed somebody's retro review of that. It sounded like they really messed it up yeah it, it's partially just because they didn't fix the proportions but you take up a giant portion of the screen and because of the curious way that Crystallis's screen scrolling works like you'll be going north and like you're never really at the precise center of the screen you're always a little closer to the direction you're going hmm. which on the shrunken GBA resolution not GBA Game Boy Color resolution means that you're almost always ramming into something. <laughs> uh, the, the NES version is still very good, still very worth playing. Well, I'm definitely going to have to check that out. Alright, well I think we pretty much covered that yep. one. Yep. Or at least that... Basically, Dragon Quest IV, that's the answer. It's yeah. Dragon Quest. <laughs> it's an ambitious, uh, very, very well-rounded RPG for your NES. Yeah, and probably holds up better than Dragon Quest Three or any of the Final Fantasies, especially Final Fantasy One, which is just well, like yeah. you know, you've got Final Fantasy One, which is busted on a number of levels. Like, I think okay, the critical stat doesn't work, the intelligence stat doesn't work. A few, I'm sure at least a few others don't work the way they're supposed to. Most of the like half the magic doesn't do what it's supposed to. Yeah, it's it's all a mess. It's a it's a mess, and like even if even if you took away everything that is a mess about how it's coded, you'd still have the issue that it's basically someone's D and D campaign. 
<laughs> Which might not shoot depending upon how you're playing, but it, it makes it feel old. Yeah. So yeah, Dragon Quest Four. Yeah. Actually, still, I have an NES card of, which is cool. Yeah, and then you know you have you have uh, Final Fantasy Two, which is an incredibly important and innovative game for its time, but uh, well, it wasn't exactly fun to play even at the time. So yeah. And FF Three, which is just weird. <laughs> I like that game, but it is, it is very weird. Yeah, it's it's hard to it's hard to recommend without like a billion caveats that yeah. I wouldn't have for Dragon Quest Four. Nope, Dragon Quest Four is awesome. Yeah. All right, so the next part of Tech Side's questions, I trying to blank for a second. Yeah. I forgot who asked these damn questions. Yeah. Oh. I'm just gonna blame anything and everything on baby brain. So there you go. She got a baby brain. Yes. All right. Are the non-Xenoblade entries in the Wii's late era trio of RPGs worth a look, in your humble opinion? Well, one, my opinion's not even remotely humble. But two, I have a copy of the last story. I've had it for like three years. I still haven't gotten around to it. And I feel <laughs> awful. Um. Everything I've heard is that the last story is awesome. Like. Every person I've talked to about it says that it's really good. I yeah. intend to get around to it. I'm glad I have a copy, but I just keep putting it off. I haven't completed it, but it's definitely like a fun, breezy action RPG, M- mostly on the action end of things, because you don't really do a yeah, lot as I, far oh, as like, RPG it's, stuff. It's like half made of Gears of War. <laughs> kind of, yeah, and it even had like an online multiplayer mode. Which is very strange to see in no any JRPG. Yeah, and I don't mean like co-op. I mean like competitive, like <laughs> capture the flag and stuff. Yeah, like when I looked at the combat system, I was like, "This is yeah. weird." But I've heard it's really good. I'm looking forward to getting to sinking my teeth into it someday. Yeah. I never played Pandora's Tower. Me neither. I bought it because I don't know. It seemed like it, it should be there? supported. It seemed like it should be supported, and it's like yeah, I, I mean, don't really like, want to play this. Uh, I was glad that last story worked out for X Seed. Yeah. yeah. Um. I haven't really. Obviously, I haven't played it. I haven't really heard anyone really praise uh, Pandora's Tower. To that, any that extent. Was one of the ones that I would imagine it's probably a fine game. Like this is this is me essentially talking out of my ass. So like anyone that wants to, feel free to write in to correct me. I would imagine that's one of those games that seemed a lot more desirable when you couldn't buy it. Yeah. I think that's the thing. And really the tragedy the tragedy of these three RPGs was the best of the bunch was the hardest to find in the at least in the US. Yeah, but you know that's that's been fixed. You can now play Xenoblade. Yep. And we're getting a nice new sequel, shiny. Mm. Can't wait <laughs> so, to play that game. Yeah, that'll be nice. <laughs> we'll hunt monsters together. It'll be great. That's gonna be so awesome. Um, but, definitely play Last Story. It's pretty cheap. Yeah, and it did well for Xseed. That's always a nice thing because yeah. I feel like half the time I see news stories about Xseed, it's like, oh yeah, we just took a complete bath on something. <laughs> it's like retro game challenge. Oh yeah, that would need to sell like five times what it sold just by making bringing over the sequel. <laughs> oh yeah, well, uh, you know, Trails in the Sky. That didn't that didn't do well. We're gonna keep going, but it didn't do well. Well, hey, we just found out their farming games have done really well, so that's good to see. Yeah, like, that's, that's I feel like, probably half the thing that keeps Xseed alive is just the fact that, like, oh, you know, Harvest Moon has a very happy, dedicated fan base that will buy it uh, until Doomsday. Even though they don't get to use the Harvest Moon name. Whatever, story of seasons. People yeah. follow the quality. Well, and Rune Factory 4, which is the first handled by Xseed, apparently did quite well. And it actually seems like they may have done a reprint of that, because I've seen more new copies around so I keep, like I've, i probably will pick up whatever the next rune factory that comes out is because the the concept entices me but i just never seem to get around to picking up for i, I don't know if there's going to be another one because the, com- the company that developed those went under oh man is that image epoch <laughs> i don't uh who the heck was it oh my god i'll go look up. okay um but yeah, moving away from the. Uh... Well, I I don't I think the, like the director didn't necessarily. Oh, it was Neverland. Yeah, I I think the 
there's that group may have stayed together in some form, so that it's still a possibility that more of those could happen, but that's probably kind of in Apparently flux at the, the moment. Apparently the company was bought by Marvelous, which makes sense. Marvelous okay. is uh, Exceed's parent company, and they are now working on Lord of Magna, Made in Heaven. That's Well... Maybe they can make Rune Factory 5 afterwards. Okay. Well, that's good to hear that they actually got bought out. Yeah, that's that's better than dissolved. Yes. It's always better than dissolved. But also, Uh, on the bright side, uh, like, Rune Factory 4 is, I believe, also on the eShop, so even if you can't buy it, it's okay. Yeah. But yeah, I keep wanting to pick those up because I like Harvest Moon, but I feel like the addition of more, like, action combat elements would help break up the... uh, farming a bit. Yeah, and I've I've played a fair amount of Rune Factory 4, and I would definitely recommend it. What I think is kind of nice about it is it's got, like, three different story arcs. <laughs> so... You can We've really of... left behind Wii RPGs. That's fine. So, <laughs> so you can kind of play through one, and then, if you've had your fill, just kind of end there, or continue on, and... Yeah. And since, since, since they are relatively separate, you can even you know take a break for a long while. So I I kind of like that. And it, it it really kind of fits in the whole farming sim type game type game. Yeah, farming sim sort of relaxed pace. Yeah. So. Uh, so yeah, it's still alive thanks to things like the last story in Rune Factory. Yeah. But back to we RPGs. Um, yeah. Uh, definitely try the last story. Uh, play Xenoblade on the Wii if that's the only way you can play it. Uh, I can't imagine a human being whose only option is because, uh, like, you know, buying a Wii copy if you didn't already own it was, uh, I think it's now like a hundred dollars. So. Yeah. Well, unless you live in Europe and then. Yeah. Probably oh, if you're cheaper. in Europe, then yeah, you can probably still get a copy. Yeah. If you're in North America, which my America-centric view means that that's where my brain goes. <laughs> uh, no such luck. Yep. Yeah. All right. So let's see. The Maybe lo- try Pandora's Tower if you see it cheap. I don't. I can't speak to its quality. Yeah. Um. It's, and, the, and that's the thing. It's probably worth just messing around with. Just don't expect that much. I guess. It's, that those. It's one those... of those things that gets passed over for localization because it just didn't stand out that much, as yeah. far as I can tell. I mean, those games were super hyped, and only really one of them completely lived up to the hype. I'm not, I don't mean that to bash Last Story, but it wasn't just, just wasn't like the be-all, end-all of RPGs or anything. It was just a, On the bright side, really I'd still game. probably rather play The Last Story than mobile card game battle designed to destroy my soul that uh, Terra <laughs> Battle seems to be. Yeah, I, I, I think I have that on my phone, but I haven't actually gotten myself able to play it. I don't. I, just I, I can't point out that the design ethos of mobile games isn't really my jam. Yeah. And like combining that with what amounts to like card game is like <laughs> you might as well be like creating the anti-me video game. Yeah. Now, if it was like a Hearthstone clone, I'm man, I'd be able to drop you into a bucket of urine. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna move on to the next question before you get really angry. Uh, what do you think Mr. Wada's impact on JRPGs was? Which I think we... Un- we covered that yeah. on both sides to some extent, but, like, summation, he fixed a lot of them. Yes. Uh, <laughs> he fixed a lot of them. He seems to have been, you know, a big supporter of Xenoblade, Xenoblade uh, X. Like, you know, I mean, those are two of the most uh, interesting... And like I would dare to say, important JRPGs of recent memory. Yeah. So I think I may be remembering wrong, but I thought I remembered him reading something about him helping with uh, the uh, version of Dragon Quest One that we eventually got. Yes, he did. Uh, he was the one, like you know the American version of the North American version of, of Dragon Quest One has a number of minor to major improvements on the Japanese version. And I believe he was the one that implemented them. Okay, so that's pretty huge. Yeah. Even yeah. though the series never took off here, that the first game still seems to be fondly remembered by a lot of people. And um, 
probably got a lot of people interested in RPGs, even if they didn't stick with the series. But yeah, I mean, like, you know, it was given away with subscriptions to Nintendo yeah, Power. Tons exactly. of people had it, yeah. they bought it not. But, uh, yeah. And we, and we talk about how, like, oh, like, it, oh, it didn't really take off here, and then, you know, they localized 2, 3, and 4 right afterwards. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, on a, on a broader subject, it's more just... Yeah, he, you know, he was a guy that did a lot of amazing behind-the-scenes work, and a lot of that was on RPGs. Yeah, and Earthbound in particular, which, you know, I don't... How popular was Earthbound in Japan? I know it's got a lot of cult following here, but I've never been really able it's to grasp... It's got a cult following there, too, basically. Okay. Like, it's it's popular. Mother 1 and 2 are popular. Mother 3, uh, actually, remarkably, is not popular. Um, <laughs> Interesting. Because Earthbound has a cult following, uh, you know, the only people that are discussing it are angry people on 2chan, uh. which is uh, what 4chan patterned itself after, and is Japan's zest of the internet. <laughs> um, and people on 2chan tend to have a very low opinion of Mother 3, of all things. Interesting. This is People that have played it here seem to yeah, have like high praise for it. Yeah, people adore it, but you know, in Japan it was looked upon with something like, at least among the hardcore fans, like a fair vocal portion of them looked upon it with scorn. Hmm. Very interesting. But yeah, like, yeah. you know, just... <sighs> just makes me wonder, would we have gotten the uh, N64 version of Mother 3 if he had been called in to fix that? It's <laughs> a good question. I think the big, the biggest one would have to be Pokemon Gold Silver, considering how, you know, how big the yeah, Pokemon series that, was. That's the thing that ensured that, like, Pokemon, whether the fad continued, the games would continue to be popular forever, basically. Yeah. Like, I'm trying to think if he hadn't been there to fix that. It could have changed the whole JRPG landscape, to be honest. Yeah, like, I mean, look at how much Pokemon ultimately influenced. Like, you can say that, you know, monster capturing mechanics existed before it, and you'd be right, but at the same time, how many of them were as influential as Pokemon? None. Really. So, even even though Dragon Quest had done it. Pokemon yeah, like, Dragon still... Quest version is nowhere near as iconic as the way that Pokemon did it. Yeah. So, pretty big impact. <laughs> yeah, it'd be hard to, it's you know, it's it's hard to quantify, I mean, but still, like, it was really important to almost everything Nintendo did for a very long time. Yeah. Nintendo yeah. was very important to a large portion of the game industry. Pulls so. <laughs> and waves. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to our next question, which will be a more general one that actually only I can answer. So, let's move on. So, I'm going to go fall asleep. question, which is from Budai, is since the new Fire Emblem gets rid of weapons stacks and their weapon stacks, I'm not sure that's drawing a blank for me. Weapon stacks? I don't know. Okay. So it gets rid of weapon... the question to the best of your ability. <laughs> since it gets rid of weapon stacks and durability, do spells still have a number of uses per book? The answer is no. Uh, spells in the new Fire Emblem games are treated just like any other weapon, which, to be honest, is kind of how it should be, because... Yeah, that makes sense, because otherwise you're just completely disadvantaging mages. Yeah. Mages mages in Fire Emblem aren't, by nature, more powerful than any of the other classes. Um, I think in a, I think kind of the confusion there would be, in a lot of RPGs, mages 
are necessarily more powerful. Dominantly powerful. Yes. Because, like, the way that they're... Like, normally the way that it works is that they, they're trading the ability to make fewer attacks for each of those attacks being correspondingly stronger. Right. Um, so, so in this case, they're treated like any other class. Um, they'll be strong against other types of units, like uh, heavily armored units. They usually do well against... There's probably some others... Um, it's it's pretty complicated. But they basically just play into the trade. Right. And, and Fire Emblem, kind of the who's powerful and weak against what, has gotten pretty complicated and well away from the old, like, rock, paper, scissors days. Pure rock, paper, scissors. Yeah. There's, there's like four interlocking games of rock, paper, scissors going on at any given yeah, time. Yeah, and this, the newer games seem to have added some more, but... In the but old... Yeah, to, to make it so that spellbooks could not have infinite uses would be to essentially, like, dramatically reduce the effectiveness of mages. Yeah, so the only things that still have durability are healing items, healing staves, and some of the other uh, staves that inflicts like uh, status ailments uh, those also Which makes have sense because uh, like infinite healing would be kind of a balance breaker yeah I mean it's easy enough to get uh, so you always have enough stock of them but uh, yeah you they can't just... have infinite healing on any one map. yeah it, it would just that that would not be good and um, so you can say about the uh, status ailments uh, those are pretty powerful and those from what I've seen only have like four uses at a maximum which makes Probably sense because, wow yeah if you if you could just like uh, some of the status ailments are like stopping movement and canceling a unit from using magic and stuff like that so yeah don't want to have unlimited uses of those that would be bad there were some careful balance considerations yeah um so yeah that pretty much sums it up uh, it's... Hashtag JRPG July. Thank you. <laughs> uh, they're a weapon like any other, and they are treated as such. Alright, so I believe we have some low whoops questions coming up next. As do we always. Yes. discuss the ultimate Nintendo RPG crossover. Settings, character, plot, bad guys, anything special you can think. Obviously it would have to it would have Mario, but what other Nintendo characters worlds Nintendo ugh, Nintendo characters, characters slash worlds. Thanks. I can't apparently talk anymore. <laughs> would be good. Any third party stuff? And what developer would you want? Uh Nintendo's got a couple of studios that they usually hand RPGs to. But at the same time, they all have slightly different specialties, so it depends yeah. on what kind of RPG you want out of it. So, like, do you want a giant, like, crossover strategy RPG? Because then you can hand it to either, like, Monolith or uh, Intelligent Systems. And if you do that, you can probably just do, like, a Super Smash Brother level crossover of everything Nintendo and use a bunch of different characters. Yeah. Because uh, that would allow you to have huge parties and... You're gonna need a lot of characters. Um, I think that yeah, I I would want something a little more interesting than that. I think. Yeah, I could I could see something that uh, one of the things that I've always enjoyed uh, is something like Kingdom Heartsy. Yeah. Which always you know acknowledged that these worlds had never really been the same before, but you know you get to see sort of the link that binds them together. Yeah. So you could kind of do something like that, where you have maybe Mario traveling between the different Nintendo worlds, teaming up with the likes of Kirby and whatnot. That could be pretty cool. Mario is eaten. <laughs> Mario is eaten. And roll credits. <laughs> Kirby, is, Kirby is suddenly the hero now. Oh man, no, no, scratch that, scratch that. Okay, Kirby RPG, where he travels to various Nintendo worlds and eats all the inhabitants. 
Wow, that's uh, is that Rampage? <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome, is what it I is. Got, I got dark really fast. <laughs> like the entire Nintendo universe is dead because Kirby decided to go on a rampage. And all while cute music is playing. Oh man. <laughs> but yeah, no, that'd be neat. And then just arbitrarily do it up in the Paper Mario art style. <laughs> there you go. Um, just because I want more things in the Paper Mario art style. <laughs> well, it might it might be interesting to cross over some like more actual Nintendo RPGs, like uh, do Earthbound crossed over with uh, I don't know something. I'm something a strong believer that Earthbound without Etoy is no Earthbound at all. So it's true. Which is why I'm always confused as to people that are like, they should make another Earth, uh, another Mother game, and all I can think is like, Etoy said he doesn't want to. Do, yeah. do you really want Earthbound without Etoy's script? Probably not. <laughs> yeah. Like, if we're if we're going full pie in the sky, then sure. <laughs> uh, honestly, the ultimate crossover for me is <laughs> Mario Luigi Paper Jam. Yeah, pretty cool a, by that's me. a pretty great, like, crossing over the weird, disparate types of Mario was kind of inspired. Um, but maybe if we bring in third parties, I think, uh, like, a Mario and Sonic RPG with the right writing staff could be pretty fun. Oh, man, just give it the Sonic Boom writing staff. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> that cartoon is hilarious. Uh, just uh, not the developers of the Sonic Boom game. Hey, Big Red Button was given like nine months to make that game. I, like, I'm I, know, I know, but still, <laughs> it's I know. I I'd, even even if they had the right amount of time, I would still want to give it to like uh, someone. No, no, no I'd, I'd rather that were developed by uh, you know some uh, you know someone that I have a lot of experience playing games from, but yeah. at the same time, like. I do feel bad for yeah. the company that was handed a nine month development cycle to like nine months to a year to develop a like yeah. modern like platformer and then got all of the blame dumped on them when that turned out poorly. <laughs> Here you go. We need a Sonic Boom game in time for the cartoon coming out. Good luck. Yeah. Here's an engine that, you know, you don't really have a lot of doc tons of documentation for. Peace out. Cool. Um, but yeah, so that that's uh that's a field thing. But yeah, like you know, just like uh, that's that's one of the things that makes you know the Nintendo characters so flexible is that they're allowed to be in all sorts of weird sort of other contexts. And so, like you get Mario, and he can be he can be you know Mario sixty four. He can be in something like Paper Mario, which is a much stranger, more like self aware world. Yeah. Or like Mario and Luigi, which is like sort of like Paper Mario. There's a lot of crossover there, but I mean, you get like the weird sort of combination cooperation and abuse thing that's going on throughout that entire series. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I think uh, they really could do a lot uh, with uh, an RPG like those crossed over with some other Nintendo series. Like I could see Kirby not being dark at all. Uh, being totally serious this time <laughs> could fit in and with like a Mario and RPG type game. Yeah, no, like they're both silent, and I can imagine them just sort of like, yeah, I can I can see that happen around. Yeah, there. or just you know you can you can slot in all of these characters because they're versatile. They can they can shift to fit the mood. Yeah, exactly. Like that's that's what's made Nintendo's like stock of characters so endearing is that they. You know, they've done, you know, as stock as the comparison is, you know, they've done like Disney, where these characters are not wedded to a specific, like, style, time, setting, place. They can be whatever they need to be. Yeah. Oh, so. man. I got a great one. Oh, no. Mario and Luigi and Donkey Kong and Diddy. There you go. Oh, man. Good times. Oh. I'm enjoying everything about this thought. <laughs> My brain is playing animations of like Donkey Kong throwing Mario across the room into a pile of enemies. Oh my 
God, so much, so many great things they can do. Ah, that's perfect. That's beautiful. And get that composer guy that did the uh, original Donkey Kong Country games. I forget his name. What's that? David Wise. Thank you. David Wise. David Wise. Thank you. Like the sixth time I've said it now. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, no, there's there's so many different directions you could take that, and they're all fun. Yeah, we didn't even because the characters are so versatile. We didn't even think anything up with Zelda. I mean, honestly, you can do you can do a Zelda crossover with Zelda. You can do a Zelda crossover with Fire Emblem, and yeah. it doesn't even seem strange. You can do a Zelda crossover where you have, since there's since there are now officially multiple timelines, you can do a crossover where you jump in between the different timelines and yeah. wacky multi-universe nonsense. So it's the, we go far back into the timeline where it's split from Mario. It's like an <laughs> evolutionary tree. <laughs> Good times. But yeah, it's it's a really rich uh, cast, and like you know, there's there's the option of third party stuff, but outside of Sonic, it, like I think it make more sense to just at the very least start with just Nintendo's IPs because there's just so many of them. There really are. I mean, like, they still haven't, ru- like, they've made four Smash Brothers games, the most recent one has, like, 50 characters in it, and, like, three of them are Nintendo's own, and they've still got tons of Nintendo characters that people are like, why aren't they in it? <laughs> and really, there's a long list of characters that could be in it. Yeah, so, I mean, like, you know, you extrapolate that out into an RPG, and it's like, you don't even need to go beyond Nintendo's own homegrown stuff. It's good to be as rich. As long as I can play as Little Mac. It's good to be rich in good IPs. Yeah. I just pay dividends every time. Yeah. Alright. Uh, shall we move on to the next questions before we come up with some other crazy crossover? Yeah, that's probably a good idea. Alright. Alright, so we've got a few questions that we can't really answer, but we're just going to mention so you don't think we've forgotten about you. Um, Someone asked about Shadow Madness, which uh, I think Dave really wants to talk about, but uh, we will talk about that in... These are probably going to get brought up again. Yeah, so we'll talk about that one at a later date. Um, Budai asked if either either of us has played Upana, which... I don't know how it's pronounced, uh, but we have not. Uh, but if we do, we'll talk about that at a later date. Uh, Budai also asked about the Famicom disk system, which uh, we are sadly very lacking in knowledge of. Um, so we're going to save that one until we can get Michael Baker on to discuss that. And I think that's it. So. We are going to tackle some more low whoops questions. Alright, so we've got some more low whoops questions to kind of wrap things up here. Uh, yep. The first one is, have you tried the new 3DS yet? The 3D effect is great because it actually works as intended now. Knowing this, are there any RPGs you would go back to just to see some cutscenes or effects with the 3D effect? Do you think companies will put more effort into their 3D now? Uh... Trying to think, like, my eyes aren't great, so, like, the 3D is kind of even more of an eye strain than usual for me. Hmm. But, uh, I'm just trying to think of, like, what I would even go back to. You know, I might replace replay something like Tales of the Abyss, but that's also just because I'd want to replay it. But Yeah, uh, maybe Kingdom Hearts 3D? Oh, yeah, that would probably look really nice. I think what else? Um, as for putting more effort, no. Yeah, definitely not. I think the 3D fad is fading quickly. It's fading as in has already gone yes. the way of the dodo. Yeah. Uh, which is a shame to some extent. 
because there's some cool things you can do with it, but uh, I don't think it was ever something that was really going to stick around. Well, it it comes and it goes, and it has every decade for the past, like, six decades. So. Yeah. Um, it is nice that uh, it's got the whole face tracking thing now. That is cool. And um, it can actually, you know, look good. Yes. Uh, but yeah, more efforts unlikely in Nintendo, especially with their going into going into that much effort for something that large parts of your audience either don't like or flat out cannot see. Yeah, it's uh, not smart. Yeah, uh, which is why it's not a winning proposition. Which is why the 2DS is something they could make. Yep. So yeah. Uh, probably any of the 3D, more 3D-based RPGs would look pretty cool. Like, uh, I wouldn't go back to Bravely Default or anything like that, but uh, Tales of the Abyss... That's just more because I don't actually enjoy Bravely Default very much. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't want to say it. I'll let you say it. Yeah, shots fired. (laughs) Um, Maybe the Castlevania for 3DS? Was a don't just don't play that game. <laughs> I like that game. <laughs> Lords of Shadow Mirror Fate's not a good game. Yeah. Uh, Sticker Star. Oh yeah, that would be neat because it makes the paper effect pop out even yeah. more. Um, nothing too crazy though. Yeah, uh, maybe Rune Factory Four. So yeah, there you go. Just make those things I wanted to play again more novel next time. Exactly. Uh, oh, Monster Hunter. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. But you never stopped playing that, so does it really count? No, it doesn't count in the slightest. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see, the next question is, do you think Nintendo needs trophy achievements on their Wii U and 3DS games? Should it be better on individual games like the Metal System in Pokemon black and white, or account-bound like every other system out there? I feel like the, the fad for those kind of sailed about five years ago. <laughs> yeah. Like, there, there was a period where people were really, really obsessed with them, and now, like, the most you hear about them is like, oh, I really like that game, so I went and got all the achievements. Yeah. They still have their fans, a good number of fans, but I don't think it's, like, a super-needed feature anymore. So I think the window where that would be a good thing for Nintendo to do has come and gone. I, I wouldn't say it's a bad thing to do, but it's a str- it would be a strange thing to prioritize. Yeah. Uh, I, I like definitely... individual games, they find ways to incentivize them themselves. So. Exactly. I don't. I don't think it's really necessary. Um... You know, I mean, people jump from one system and to an. I'm sure people have jumped from like Xbox to, to PlayStation Four, so you know you lose your achievements. So it's obviously not a huge, huge deal. So I don't. I, I really don't think Nintendo needs to do it. And there's better things they can do with their time anyway. Um, all right, so I think it's time to wrap things up. Yeah. From this all Nintendo episode. Uh, which I hope, despite the sad news, was mostly in a more positive direction. Want things. Uh, all right. So, um, if you want to send us more questions, uh, we will definitely welcome more Nintendo questions. Or maybe, after li- listening to this, you have some more thoughts about Mr. Iwata. Uh, feel free to send those in to the usual places. Uh, wheels at rpgamer.com for email. Ask Wheels on Twitter. You can also uh, tweet at Dave at, at FanboyMaster. Uh, there's the Ask. Oh, sure, throw me to the wolves. <laughs> uh, there's the Ask.fm, which is also Ask Wheels, which no one has used. Uh, yeah, you keep plugging it anyway. I do, I don't know why. And you can always post questions in the forums for the la- in the thread for the latest episode. And I think that's about it. Um, yeah, uh, I'm sure we'll think about more random Nintendo thoughts after recording this, which we might have to discuss another time. But yeah, Nintendo is cool, and yeah, we'll 
there should be some cool uh I would say Awada related music fitted into this episode. It was it was it was very specifically for him. Yes. So please enjoy and we'll see you next time. Peace out.